Romans chapter 8. We're going to dive into the middle of this passage, uh, starting in verse 18 in just a moment. And so we'll look at a little bit of the context of Romans 8 to help us uh, find our footing. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. May 27th of 1943, there was a World War II bomber called the Green Hornet. It was hit by enemy fire and went down somewhere over the Pacific Ocean. And of the 11 members of that crew, three men miraculously survived. Phil Phillips, Mac McNamara, and Louis Zamperini. Now as the shell of that plane began to sink, these three men connected two life rafts together They assembled whatever survival supplies they could salvage from the wreckage, and then they waited. They waited for uh, the sound of an approaching search and rescue plane to come and find them. They waited, and they waited. Soon hunger and heat became their worst enemies, and so to keep their minds sharp, to help ward off insanity, Louis began peppering his boatmates about every conceivable subject. Their, their little raft became a nonstop quiz show. And when they were finished quizzing one another, the, the conversations inevitably turned toward food, which is kind of ironic considering they had none. But Louis would go into detail describing his mom's spaghetti or pumpkin pie every dish that she had ever made for him. What's amazing is the cooking and the quizzing worked. For Louis and Phil, the conversations were healing, pulling them out of their suffering and setting the future before them as a concrete thing. As they imagined themselves back in the world again, they willed a happy ending onto their ordeal and made it their expectation. With these talks, they created something to live for. But something was different about Mac. As Louis and Phil grilled each other, Mac usually sat in silence. He shared few stories, and though the other two encouraged him, he could not imagine a future. To him, it seemed the world was too far gone. And in one sense, you can't blame him because guys that are stuck on life rafts in the middle of the Pacific Ocean don't have a very good track record. But what is remarkable is that the two men who shared Mac's plight did not share his hopelessness. Though they both knew they were in an extremely serious situation, both Louis and Phil had the ability to warn away fear from their thoughts, focusing instead on how to survive and reassuring themselves that things would work out. Though all three men faced the same hardship, their differing perceptions of it appeared to be shaping their fates. Louis and Phil's hope displaced their fear and inspired them to work towards survival. And each success renewed their physical and emotional vigor. Mac's resignation seemed to paralyze him. And the less he participated in their efforts to survive, the more he slipped. Though he did the least as the days passed, it was he who faded the most. Louis and Phil's optimism and Mac's hopelessness were becoming self-fulfilling. All three of these men fought incredibly hard for their lives. Louis and Phil survived a record 47 days in the Pacific Ocean. But on the 33rd night of their time in the open sea, Louis was awoken by what he described as a breathy sound, a deep outrushing of air, slow and final. 
and Mac had passed away. Next morning, Louis and Phil wrap Mac's body up, lean over the edge of their boat, and slowly let him slip away into the water. So hope versus despair. These three men face the exact same circumstances, but their view of their problems, their outlook on the future, made the difference between life and death. And the text that we're going to look at this afternoon puts us in a very similar situation. We're in the middle of very hard times. Let's read together from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. This is the word of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We're jumping into the middle of Romans chapter 8, and so... We need to look back at where we have come from. We need to look forward to where we're going so that we can understand the context of what these verses mean for us here today. And so the first thing that we need to remember is is this. Remember your beginning. Everyone is born a sinner, hostile to God, enemies of everything that is good. You and I were lost and without hope. And that's when we see Romans chapter 5, God comes in. And he says, because of what I have done for you in Jesus Christ, I declare you to be righteous. You are saved from your sins. You are in Christ. The Spirit is within you. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so now, God has transferred you and made you a son. He's transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. You were a slave. Now you are a son. God has adopted you as his child. And as his child, instead of sharing the punishment for your sins, you share in the blessings that come with being a son of God. Jesus is your co-heir. He's your older brother. So that's where you've come from. This is who you are now if you have believed in Jesus. So as a son, all of your life is weaving and working its way to one goal, and that is glory. Being with Jesus, becoming like him when you see him as he is. Enjoying the full benefits of the salvation that right now uh, we get to taste part of. Verse 17, Paul says that because we are children of God, because we are fellow heirs with Christ, we will be glorified with Christ. Here in verse 18. We feel the bite of sufferings now, but one day God is going to reveal his full glory to us and in us. So if you're a son, reaching glory is a sure thing. That's where you're going. 
But right now, you're suffering. We're in the middle. We're in the world. These 70 years, give or take, that God gives us. And we suffer. Life hurts. Sometimes it just stinks. <laughs> Sometimes that hurt, that suffering is a result of simply just living in a sin-cursed world, a result of the fall. Sometimes it's a result of the consequences of your own sin, your own sinful choices. Sometimes it's the consequences of somebody else's sin that you have to bear. We start to realize that being a Christian doesn't inoculate us from suffering. That statement flies in the face of a whole movement of supposed Christianity. And, and really, even within evangelical Christianity, many Christians implicitly believe that because they're sons, because you've been adopted, because you're going to glory, your life should be better. I mean, after all, you've given your life to God. You're following Jesus. Don't you get a better end of the, of the stick? Now, this text and our experience shows us that that's not true. If you're a child of God and a fellow heir with Christ, verse 17, you will suffer with Christ in order that you also may be glorified with him. Friends, you are not the first one to suffer. Jesus suffered for you. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. It was necessary that he should suffer and enter into glory. But it's very important to, to understand this. Jesus' sufferings do not take away your suffering. Tim Keller says it like this. Jesus didn't suffer so that you wouldn't have to suffer. Jesus suffered so that when you do suffer, you'll become like him. So suffering is a part of who we are in this life. Look again at verse 18. Paul writes this. He says, I consider. That's, a, that's an accounting terminology. I've thought about it long and hard. I've counted this up. That the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, Paul is no stranger to sufferings. Uh, we may read that verse and think, oh, thanks for the band-aid, Paul. You don't know what I'm going through. Paul had been through very hard things. Listen to a list from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 of some of what Paul had been through. Imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times he received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times beaten with rods, once stoned. Three times shipwrecked, a night and a day adrift at sea. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from his own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil, hardship, through many a sleepless night, hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul knew about his sufferings. So what would your list of sufferings potentially look like? Think about it for a second. Maybe it's a broken foot at a really bad time. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe you're single and you don't want to be. Or you don't have kids and you wish God would give you kids. Maybe it's chronic headaches or pain. 
joblessness or struggle at your job. Conflict between family members. Abuse that you have gone through yourself. Struggle to grow in your walk as a Christian. Financial hardships, addiction, significant health issues, you name it. You and I are no strangers to suffering either. It takes many forms, and sometimes we we think, oh, it's more or less significant when compared with other people. But for you, whatever just came into your mind just then, it's real. That's where you are tonight. Those are your sufferings. Paul counts up sufferings. He counts up future glory. He weighs the difference to see which one is going to win out. He wants you and me to think through our lives, to face those hard things head on and come to the conclusion that the joy, the euphoria of being with God in glory is going to make these hard times fly in the air as if they had no no comparison at all. Now, what sufferings are you experiencing now that make you sigh and say, how long, O Lord, help (laughs) As I was working on this sermon the other day, uh, my daughter Zoe, who you just met, she runs in completely distraught. And as I worked through the tears to find out what had happened, uh, I found out her favorite bracelet had been sucked up by the vacuum cleaner, and it was no more. And through her tears, Zoe really wasn't complaining. She was, she was grieving the loss of something that she valued and loved. And I said, Zoe, it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts to lose something that you love makes you long for the time when it's not going to happen again. For me, part of my sufferings now are I'm not supposed to be here in America. I'm supposed to be over in Indonesia serving God because, of course, you can only serve God when you're a missionary overseas, right? Good, I'm glad some of you laughed at that. That's not true. God has given me a second kid with severe health issues. And, And yes, my theology says God is good. God is sovereign, yet it's still stinking hard. It hurts. There's no stability in my life. I don't know what the next steps are going to look like. And I say, God, what are you doing? What's happening? One writer says that you and I as Christians must view the suffering of this life in a larger world transcending context. So we're here. We're going to glory. We've got to view them with a a world-transcending context that does not alleviate the present intensity of our sufferings, but it transcends it with a confident expectation that suffering is not the final word. So where you are now, you're already saved. You're an adopted child. You know that glory is coming. You know that suffering isn't the final word. How? How do you practically deal with with the pain that you're going through? How do you as a Christian maintain and grow in your hope in the midst of hardships and sufferings? Paul's word to us from this text is this. You groan well as you wait for God to make all things right. Those sufferings that you feel, they produce in you a a groaning. And it is okay to groan in your sufferings. And before Paul gets to our groaning, he talks about how creation is suffering. In verse 20, 
creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. When Adam sinned, God, God put a curse on the serpent. He put a curse on the human race, but he also put a curse on the non-human world, creation. And, and we can easily look around and see in, in all of the volcanic eruptions, the floods, the decay, the things of ours that break down, that there is a curse on this earth. And in every flood, every eruption, every broken down car, creation is saying, how long? When will everything be, be made right again? So creation groans. But we as Christians are different, right? We go through hard things. We go through sufferings and there's always a smile on our face. Nothing ever bothers us. No, that's not true. Paul says, you, you who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit of God living in you. Paul emphasizes that in verse 23. Not only the creation, we ourselves the guarantee of our salvation, the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, and yet we groan inwardly. We're sons, but we still live in a cursed world. We feel incomplete that everything hasn't been made right. And life is full of bad things, and it's no different for us as Christians. The bad things that you face in your life right now, they are not good things in disguise. Zoe and Owen's heart problems are not good. They're part of living in a sin-cursed world. Paul uses a very practical and vivid picture of what groaning will look like. And that's childbirth. Childbirth is painful. Have you ever been to a silent maternity ward? I'm sure if you've been to one, it's not silent. I promise you that. Childbirth is an incredible thing. There's no greater pain that a human being can experience. And no one faults a woman for, for kicking, screaming, saying things to her husband that she's later going to regret because it's unthinkably painful. It's undeniably hard. Paul says that we, along with creation, are going through this process. We're in the middle of it, and it hurts. Sometimes we as Christians are, are led to believe that sighing under the weight of our sufferings isn't spiritual, that it doesn't please God. Groaning means you're complaining against God. You're not trusting Him. You should just take it in stride. You bear it. You press on with a stoic spirit. And Paul says, no, emphatically, no. Groaning isn't a complaining spirit toward God. It's this deep sigh that says, how long, O oh Lord? When are these labor pains going to be over and I can see the glory that you've promised to me? It's only natural for there to be the sighs and groans as you face adversity because you're like a woman in the middle of giving birth to a child. And the fact that a, that a woman knows that a baby is coming at the end of labor doesn't take away the pain of the labor. The fact that you as a follower of Jesus Christ know that glory is coming one day does not take away the pain of your suffering right now. But this groaning of ours isn't just painful. It also has a purpose. There's no greater pain that a human can experience than in childbirth, yet there's no greater joy 
that is produced through that pain. God has given us four children, and so I've been through four labors and deliveries with my wife. And there are different strategies to dealing with the pain of the contractions. Uh, Some women choose to have epidurals, and that's great for you. Uh, Others, they fight against the pain. And so as those contractions come, they hold their breath, and they're fighting against the pain until, okay, there's a little bit of relief. I remember my wife, Sarah, prepping me for the deliveries, how she wanted me to to coach her through the labor process. And literally, I had it written down so that I wouldn't screw up in the middle of it. And each time a contraction would come, I would say, breathe. Don't fight against the pain. Let it work for you. Imagine the baby coming out with each push. Don't fight against the pain. Let it wash over you. Let it work for you. And then the time came when everything just started to come together in the space of just a couple of seconds. You know, I'm I'm holding this new life. Sarah's pain and labor had produced a joy that made her say, it is so worth it. I'll do it again. Brothers and sisters, don't despair at your sufferings. Know and believe that God is working through them to produce good things in you, good things through you. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 16. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. You know what's so encouraging at this point? That we don't have to groan alone. You and I have the first fruits of our salvation, the guarantee of glory, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He joins us in our suffering. He joins you in your groanings. Look with me at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. When you and I are in the middle of intense, stressful, weighty situations, there are times where all we can say is, God, help. We don't know what to say. So the Spirit He comes alongside of us. It's not the spirit that's weak. We're the the weak ones. We're the ones that don't know what to pray for. The spirit, he he has the mind of God. He knows exactly what to pray for. He's not coming alongside of us and saying, I'm not sure. But yet he identifies with us. He takes those God helps. He makes them perfect before the Father. When we were in Charleston, South Carolina a few weeks ago for our son's open heart surgery, we were staying at a house where uh, people can stay while their children are in the hospital. And the night after Owen's open heart surgery, he's in the NICU, and uh, we weren't allowed to stay with him. So we go back to the house, 10 p.m., get there, and as we're walking up the stairs, uh, we see another lady coming down, a mom who was staying there that we hadn't met before. And so I just say, hey, how you doing? And... Through her tears, she replied, not so good. My baby just passed. 
Sarah immediately embraced this mom named Rochelle, and Rochelle just literally melted, put all of her weight onto Sarah. She just didn't have the strength and the emotion to stand up. And Rochelle just began wailing out in grief, Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, my baby, my baby. And then I began to hear another wail, and it was Sarah. Rochelle didn't have the strength to stand. She didn't know what to say. And so Sarah just started praying for her. Jesus, come alongside of Rochelle right now. Flood her with your peace. Help her to know it's okay to hurt. Help her to know that you love her, that you're with her right now, that you're going to show her the way forward. Rochelle didn't have the strength to stand. She didn't know what to say. Sarah hadn't lost her baby. Yet Sarah was able to come alongside her to put words what Rochelle couldn't say. Brothers and sisters, so often you and I are like Rochelle. We hurt and we don't know what to say. The Spirit comes alongside of us. He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm not always going to take away your suffering, but I'm going to be with you in your suffering. And as we remember that, as we remember that the Spirit is with us, the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our salvation, He is groaning with you in your sufferings. He gives us hope. It gives us hope as we wait on God. Hold on to God. Don't hold on to this dream that everything is going to work out perfectly in this life. God doesn't promise us that everything is going to be resolved in this life, that our situations are going to work out, that our cancer will be healed, that our relationships are going to be mended. So throughout Scripture, you you see people putting their hope not in better circumstances, not in their view of how the future should turn out, but they put their hope in God. David says in Psalm 25, he says, Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God. I will again praise Him, for He is my salvation. He is my God. This is an important distinction, brothers and sisters, because if you place your hope in your confidence in a present earthly resolution, then when things don't turn out like you had planned, then you think that God has failed you. And God will never fail you. He will never fail you. God has not promised me that Zoe or Owen's hearts are going to last a full life. He hasn't promised us that Owen's Down syndrome isn't going to cause us major problems when we're in Indonesia. But what he has promised is this, that his spirit is going to be with us every step of the way. He's going to be with me in my prayers and my groanings, that the labor pains that I feel now are producing a Christ-likeness and a glory that, that I could not have experienced any other way. So day after day, moment by moment, I place my hope in God. Hope is the confidence that a good God is turning your bad things out for good. And most of all, reminding you that the best is yet to come. Those bad things that you're experiencing right now, God is working through them for your good, which is for you to become like Jesus Christ. Hope enables us not to forget our present troubles. If we ignore them, they're going to get worse. Hope doesn't say, oh, act like they're not there. Hope says, no, I can view them in light of who God is. I can view them in light of where I'm going. 
Hope doesn't just give us a confidence in a good ending. We know the glory's coming. That's good. But what about now? Hope changes us now in the middle of our sufferings. While we are groaning, we can have peace. In the middle of our sufferings, we can have a confidence that everything is going to be all right, even though we have no idea what's going to happen. I am okay with, with this. You fill in the blank with my sufferings, my cancer, my abuse, my relationships. I'm okay with that because I know I have a good father who is in control of everything that happens in my life. And so I can look at those things and say, you are not the final word. Cancer, where is your sting? Heart problems, where is your victory? I have a good, good father. In the midst of, of my groaning, I can experience true joy. My heart can be dancing even though there's tears coming down my cheeks. And for, for me, this is significant because I'm not naturally a joyful person. I'm, I'm more of a melancholy, you know, the glass is kind of half, half full. If you've ever read some of the Chronicles of Narnia, in the silver chair, there's a character called Puddleglum. And he always sees the negative in everything. Or if, you, if you're more into Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore. Oh, yeah. That's how I am naturally. I just lack the joy, and so I just began begging God, give me joy, give me joy, give me joy. As I've step by step placed my hope more on God, He is changing me. He's begun answering that prayer, filling me with this this happy assurance that He is in control of every detail of my life. And so I can praise Him regardless of what happens. As you place your hope in God, you will never be disappointed. He will always satisfy you. You can look back in your life and see here was a struggle, God didn't disappoint. Here's a struggle. God didn't disappoint. Now, he didn't always do exactly what you thought he was going to do, but he never will disappoint you. Psalm 25, 3, David says, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame or disappointed. God has good plans for those who follow him because you're his child. Hope produces in you a deeper love. As you let God's love wash over you, you're able to look out from your own sufferings, in the middle of your sufferings, and you're able to love others. I remember seven years ago and five years ago with Zoe's first two open-heart surgeries, uh, everything was a blur. Um, It was just all I could do to put one step in front of the other. Just Life was chaos, it felt like. Uh, It was just enough to try to take care of our own family, which I probably didn't do a very good job of, uh, much less (laughs) think about anybody else. And that, that was okay for us at that time. That's where we were in our sufferings. But as we went to Charleston just a few weeks ago for Owen's surgery, uh, God did amazing things. Um, there's no doubt that we felt the weight of what was going to happen, the risks involved. Uh, we're his parents. And trusting God doesn't take away the emotions of a parent. But as we went into that pre-op room, as we handed off Owen to the surgeon, We felt that weight, yet we also went out with a light spirit that enabled us to go and talk to other families who were hurting. And throughout the five days we were there, we talked to many, many people. We took Zoe with us, and uh, it it was really sweet because Zoe, she knows about her heart. She knows what she's been through. um, And her surgeon was also going to be Owen's surgeon. And so we showed her pictures of her 
surgeon and doctors that she knew. And we told her we're going to go there. Well, Zoe gets this grand idea. I've got to do something for the other people who are going to be there. And so she made these little things she called Zoe's joy bags. And she put in suckers and lip balm and hand sanitizer and all these other odds and ends and made several bags. And she wrote a note that said, you know, I've had two open heart surgeries. My brother has Down syndrome. He has, he's going to have an open heart surgery. And I pray that God will give you peace. And throughout our, our time there in Charleston, we're able to give those to other people and share with them the hope that we have that doesn't depend on what happens, but it depends on a good God. Hope produces, lastly, an expectation. Right now, we don't have full glory yet. It's still coming down the road. And so we wait for it, Paul says, wait for it eagerly. That word eagerly has the idea of standing on your tiptoes, your neck stuck out because you cannot wait to see what's going to happen. And we we know that feeling well. Uh, A new movie that's coming out, you can't wait to go see it. That vacation you've been planning, you just, ah, it's got to come. That's what we're supposed to look forward to. That's how we're supposed to look forward to being with Jesus. But the reality is, it's not here yet. So Paul says, wait for it with endurance. That last word in verse 25, translated patience in in most Bibles, but it has the idea of, of patient endurance, holding fast. For some of you here today, all that you can do is groan, and that's okay. For some of you, your sufferings feel like they will never end, and the reality is they may not on this side of heaven. As you suffer, as you endure, as you allow God to work into you that that hope and that joy and that peace and that satisfaction, your character is deepened. The roots of your faith dig deeper into the soil of God's word of who he is. And so you're able to face those challenges, that adversity, like, like a mighty oak and say, my hope is in God. I will endure to the end. So as you go from here this afternoon, the question is, how can you groan well as you wait for God to make everything right? Two things. One, groan with others. Share with others the struggles that you're going through. Be transparent. Nobody is under the the delusion that you've got it all together. So you can just relax. Hey, I'm struggling in my marriage. This situation at work is killing me. You fill in the blank. Share it with somebody you trust here. But don't stop there. Then say, would you pray with me about this? Allow them to join you in that so that they can see God giving you hope and peace and joy in the midst of your sufferings. Or maybe you're on the other side, that right now God has given you a good situation. You say, I want to have eyes. Who out there is suffering? Who is groaning that I can come alongside of and encourage? That's why you have the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, Don't ignore this blessed, blessed opportunity to grow together. So who this week can you talk to? Can you pray with so that together you groan well as you hope in God? So groan with others and then groan with God. God wants to hear your feelings. He's your father. He longs to hear you talk to him. Don't hold it in. Maybe for you, you need just to write it out. Here are the things that I'm struggling with. 
And you say, well, I, I can't tell God what I'm really feeling. Have you read the Psalms recently? David, the other psalmists, Habakkuk, they let their emotions out to God. And God, he gave them hard answers, but he didn't rebuke them. He wants you as his child to say, God, this hurts. What are you doing? I don't understand. Cry out to God. List out your struggles. You say, I don't know what to pray for. Join the crowd. Take the Psalms and say, David knew what to pray for. This is the inspired word of God. I'm going to let this be the word that I pray to Jesus, that I pray to the Father. This week, how are you going to groan with God? How are you going to groan with others? Remember Mac, Louie, and Phil in the boat? What if somebody could have come to Mac and say, Mac, I promise you, you're going to make it. Would that have changed his perspective? Would that have given him hope, faith to endure so that his outcome would have changed? Christian, you and I have been given that promise. Glory is a sure thing. So don't despair in your sufferings. As you suffer now, groan well as you wait eagerly for God to make everything right. Let's pray together. Father, it is a scary thing to sit under the weight of your word and come face to face with what this means practically for our lives because there is no promise that you're going to fix our hardships. And that, that's hard. These feel like crushing burdens on our back. Yet, God, you have made promises to us that far surpass that weight. The promise that you will never, ever leave us. You will not forsake us. That you have brought us to a place of abundance in Jesus. You will bring us to that promised land of glory. These are sure things. Holy Spirit, would you confirm this truth in our heart tonight? Brothers and sisters, whatever it is you are facing tonight, what does God want you to do in response to this word? Are you struggling to to be transparent and open with your, your brothers and sisters here at Grace and Truth? Are you struggling with how can a good God allow this? Talk to Him about it. Run to the Word. Let God's word transform the way you think about who he is, about your sufferings. God, thank you. Thank you that your word is perfectly applicable to every situation in this room tonight. And so we rest easy in this, that it's not my, not my powerful words of, of wisdom that would make this applicable, but it is your spirit. Holy Spirit, do this. Empower us to go out and live changed lives in light of this word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.